0: compass media networks this is america's first news this weekend with your host gordon deal who and what is hamas i'm gordon deal with jennifer Koshenka. thanks for spending part of your weekend with us here's what's coming up this hour
1: it's been a week since hamas launched a surprise attack on israel we'll examine the history of the terrorist group
0: on the weather front if you want a preview of how much snow we'll get this winter, check out October conditions in Siberia.
1: Where's the booze? Concert goers aren't getting drunk like they used to before seeing the most popular rock bands. We'll explain why.
0: And what business leaders are saying about the management style of Deion Sanders, football coach at the University of Colorado.
1: You know They sort
2: of rallied. They, they played USC, another top 10 team, really close the next week, and then they got back in the win column a week later and so the the confidence that his team exudes is impressing some of the business gurus that i've spoken with
0: Callum borscher's at the wall street journal on leadership lessons from coach prime well it was one week ago that hamas launched a land air and sea attack against israel and the death toll continues to rise on both sides after israel declared war against the terrorist group the first time the nation has done so since 1973 The attack by Hamas is the largest assault on Jews since the Holocaust. Who is this group? More from Rachel Shilke, reporter at The Washington Examiner. Rachel, what did you look at?
3: Well, basically, I kind of looked at the history of Hamas, kind of who are they, where do they operate, who are they operating for? And so Hamas is a Palestinian militant group. Um, It is deemed a terrorist organization by the United States. Um, and it is the governing body of the Gaza Strip, which is a Palestinian enclave where about like 2 million people live.
0: Okay, and so their beef with Israel, I know is, uh, is centuries long, if not longer, but, but basically here, this particular issue is what?
3: So this is- issue is over just the continuing struggle between Palestinians wanting to have self-governance and wanting to end the occupation, quote-unquote, of Israel. And so what happened on an early Saturday was that Hamas launched thousands of rockets into Israel. Um, and basically that set off now the latest war since 1973 that Israel has declared. So now Israel is counterstriking; It is bombing Gaza. They've ordered a total siege of Gaza. No food, fuel, electricity is going out. So it's getting into a wide scale war right now.
0: Right. And how do you characterize, I guess, how popular Hamas is?
3: Well, Hamas is pretty popular among the Palestinians. Um, So it became the authority in Gaza after winning in 2006, and they haven't held an election for 17 years. And so the other political party that kind of runs the area is Fatah, and they are in charge of the West Bank and Hamas is in charge of the Gaza Strip. So those two entities are under Palestinian territory, but they are separated by the two rulers. And so a poll actually was conducted in June 2023. And a lot of people actually do not want the reunification of Gaza and the West Bank. About a third of Palestinians consider it to be one of the most damaging developments for their people. And after a lot of things were going wrong, just over the years of conflict, Hamas kind of stepped up and really became a formidable force. And so that's kind of what is driving some of the popularity behind their
0: hmm. rule. We're speaking with Rachel Shilkey, reporter at the Washington Examiner. Her piece is called, What is Hamas? And who is the commander known as the guest behind the terror attack on Israel? Also, Hamas uh, would like Israel to no longer exist, correct?
3: Correct. That is one of their three pillars.
0: OK and then explain who the guest is. Who is this guy?
3: So the guest is the commander of the military wing of Hamas. So, and just so everyone's clear, Hamas is the political party. They're the political entity. The people who are attacking right now are the military wing of Hamas. And so their commander is Muhammad Deif. And so Deif actually translates to quote unquote guest. And it references the practice of Palestinian fighters staying at a different sympathizer's home each night to evade Israeli intelligence, to evade soldiers who want to capture them or to get them out of there. Um, and so Deif has been hunted by Israel for decades and he actually was almost killed 20 years ago in an airstrike, but there's not a lot known about him. All that it is is just intelligence leaking stuff from his file. There is information about him being a bomb maker and helping Hamas Dig a network of tunnels under Gaza. He moved really quickly through the ranks of the military wing, and so helped create some of Hamas's first rockets. And those rockets, um, at least three thousand five hundred of those, were launched on into Israel on Saturday alone.
0: Mm. All right, where does Hamas get its uh, funding to support the military and and obviously the weapons?
3: So there is some speculation as to where they're getting their funds, who's supporting them, but traditionally Hamas receives funding from Iran pretty significantly, whether it's weapons, whether it's training or funds. Um, Some reports say that Iran provides $100 million annually to Hamas, and then Turkey also has a hand in it as well because they reportedly house some of the group's top leaders. So they also kind of have some sort of connection to them. Whether or not Iran or Turkey had any Involvement in this attack, you know, is still being conducted by intelligence officials. So it's hard to speculate, but we at least know that there are some trails that signal that they have some sort of connection to the group.
0: Such a little more uh, as we finish up here on the history, uh, specifically 1948 when Israel was created.
3: Yeah, so that's kind of where the conflict between Palestine and Israel starts is when Israel was created in 1948, shortly after the Holocaust. And so since then, you know, israel invaded the sinai peninsula peninsula and the gaza strip which was under egyptian control and you know they withdrew in 1957 but they still had control over the gaza strip and then Egyptian and Syrian forces invaded Israel in October 1973, which is when the last time Israel declared war up until a couple days ago.
0: Thanks, Rachel. Rachel Shilke, reporter at the Washington Examiner. Coming up next, business lessons from Coach Prime. Bring smiles to all when shopping online with Dell Technologies Gift Guide. Whether it's for the artist, the entrepreneur, the student, or the streamer, you'll find the perfect gift. Dell.com slash gift guide makes gifting easy with a carefully curated selection. Shop now to explore our innovative PCs like the XPS 13 laptop, powered by the latest Intel Core processors, plus accessories. Visit Dell.com slash gift guide today. That's Dell.com slash gift guide. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. Everyone from The Rock to 60 Minutes swooned over Dion Sanders after he led one of college football's worst teams to a 3-0 record early this season. To business gurus, though... This is the moment that Coach Prime and his swagger really get interesting, since their hot start has cooled off somewhat. What the business class is saying from Callum Borscher's columnist at the Wall Street Journal— Cal, what are you hearing?
2: Well, so far what I'm hearing is they're impressed by the way the team has looked kind of resilient the last couple of weeks after a really disappointing crash against the Oregon Ducks, right? So if you don't follow college football, Deion Sanders took one of the worst teams in college football, got him at this 3-0 start, everybody's in love with the team, and then they just get absolutely pummeled uh, against Oregon in week four. And it looks like, oh, things have fallen apart. Is this going to be, you know, a major letdown? For the program, but then you know they sort of rallied. They, they played USC, another top ten team, really close the next week, and then they got back in the win column a week later. And so the the confidence that his team exudes is impressing some of the business gurus that I've spoken with.
0: Interesting. Who are saying what here?
2: But what they're saying is that in a turnaround situation, which this clearly is, right, this was a team that won one game last season, you sort of have to come in and project a high degree of confidence, even if you actually don't necessarily have all of the answers. I thought that was interesting, talking to a couple of these consulting types, you know, McKinsey and PricewaterhouseCoopers, people who go in and try to, you know, uh, turn around troubled businesses. Because if you don't get buy-in, their argument is, then nothing will ever succeed. It's not that you're so cocky that you think you're always right. But if you don't have a certain amount of swagger, um, that gets people on board and, and to at least give a full effort to whatever your vision is, you know, then you're doomed before you even start. And and clearly that's something that Sanders has done. He's got this team believing in him and itself.
0: We're speaking with Callum Borscher's columnist at the Wall Street Journal. His piece is called It's Prime Time for Bosses to Pay Attention to Deion Sanders. There were there were a bunch of things I took away uh, in different parts of your piece, like you just referenced confidence, the connections with players. I thought was another one. Um, setting high expectations, not accepting mediocrity, trusting through caring, it seems.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think a big one there is that sort of mix between being confident, but also, you know, holding himself and players to a really high standard. You know, uh, the most recent game against Arizona State was a really good example where they they almost blew it, right? I mean, they were up uh, close to the end, and they give up this very long touchdown drive, and they needed a last-second field goal to pull out the win. So afterwards, you know, Deion Sanders says, hey, you know, it's a wonderful win, and oh, by the way, we played like hot garbage, was (laughs) was his phrase. And so so what I hear from business executives when they hear coach Sanders say that they say that's an important distinction when when we say he's confident it's not because he's cocky in some inherent superiority that you know we're just better than everybody so we don't have to work hard on the contrary uh, what he's saying is i don't accept mediocrity even if the result was good and we won the game I thought that the effort and the discipline were lackluster at times, and, and I don't accept uh, those kinds of shortcomings, and we need to keep working harder. And And so the, the business types say that's an important distinction, that the confidence has to be rooted in a belief that you can achieve greatness, but that you have to work really hard to do it.
0: Uh, you said uh, Coach Prime does know when to turn down the limelight. Explain
2: yeah, too bad for me, right? I mean, I was hoping he would continue to just lap up all the interview requests. Uh, but uh, but no, after they lost their second game, when I reached out to their athletic department, the response was, hey, coach is really scaling back on media right now, uh, which I thought was interesting, right? I mean, clearly uh, he's a self-promoter uh, and proudly so, right? I mean, he's got his own branded sunglasses. Uh, for a while, it seemed like he was on every TV show in America, including 60 Minutes, right? Well, well beyond the yeah. world of, of sports media. Uh, but I think after a couple of, of losses, part of what he's signaling probably to his teenage and 20 and something players is, OK, it's time to refocus, keep our heads down and and really be working hard. And we're, we're going to re-earn all that level of attention. Um, but maybe after a, a couple of, uh, you know, handy losses is not the time to go out, uh, you know, doing the whole interview circuit again.
0: Thanks, Cal. Callum Borshers columnist at the Wall Street Journal. Coming up next, what we're getting wrong about burnout on the job. One thing we all have in common is a need to feed. If you're like me, you love to eat and want to eat right without much pre-planning and shopping. Enter Hello Fresh, America's number one meal kit. Kickstart a fresh fall with Hello Fresh handling all the meal planning and shopping. They do the work, you take a bow. Plus, Hello Fresh is more than just dinners. There's breakfast, quick lunches, fresh snacks, tasty, time-saving and delivered to your front door. HelloFresh's convenience, variety, and quality keep me eating right all day and night. Right now, save from the start. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50Gordon and use code 50Gordon for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. HelloFresh's menu offers 40 recipes and over 100 add-ons. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50Gordon and use code 50Gordon for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. Say goodbye to boring meal plans and HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh.com slash 50Gordon. Hey, glad you could be with us. According to a recent report from Fortune, American workers are overwhelmed with uncertainty thanks to economic turmoil, and that can lead to burnout and a host of other issues. Addressing that with this weekend's Jennifer Koshenka.
1: If you're feeling overwhelmed and burned out, you've got a lot of company. How can we fix those feelings? Here with some tips is Peter Matisse, Fortune 500 business consultant and author of Plan B, A Professional's Guide to Authentic Success. Peter, you say the current model of success is making us suffer. Why?
4: Yeah, for, for centuries, whether we're conscious or not, we've been following and been educated to follow a model of success that's really not designed to make us happy. That's actually the reason for our suffering. And this model is really to constantly do more, to accumulate more stuff, so we eventually, hopefully, become somebody. So from early childhood, we're in school, really, and our teachers tell us you have to do more, you have to work harder to accumulate good grades, to become maybe an honor student. And then you go on to university and we go in, into our workplace accumulating maybe a title, money, maybe our Prada bags, hoping that we become respected or happy or maybe maybe become a lawyer or so. And we can clearly see that it's not working, that a lot of people are struggling and suffering, and it is actually a model that exhausts us.
1: Why are we feeling so burned out, and are we feeling more burned out than we used to? Uh, We
4: do feel more burned out if you look at the statistics because the life, Um, that we live and the world that we live in is accelerating and the pace of world and the uncertainty that we are confronted with is accelerating constantly. And whenever there's uncertainty, our mind responds with stress. Uh, So in the face of this uncertainty, we're just overwhelmed and we are just more burnt out. So if you look at the statistics, they've gone up substantially um, during COVID and after COVID in terms of burnout and stress.
1: Are we not getting the recognition at work that we deserve?
4: Um, It's deeper than that. I think when I work with leaders from all over the world, everybody wants to be a great leader. And I have yet to find somebody who is not willing to be a good leader and they want to give recognition. They do that. But in the heat of the day, our system, our mind, how our mind works, how our system, our model of success is set up. It's just we go back to this doing thing. We go back to accumulating and becoming something, striving, 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 and we forget along the way who we are being and who the people around us are being. So the human connection, the human centricity that many companies are trying to establish um, is lacking in many organizations.
1: We're speaking with Peter Maddie's Fortune 500 business consultant and author of Plan B, A Mm -hmm. Professional Guide to Mm -hmm. Authentic Success. Well, Peter, how do we fix this?
4: That's a million-dollar question, of course. So uh, there's an alternative model, and this is maybe the biggest message that I want people to hear out there because I hear so much, isn't there a better way to work and live? And there is actually a better way to work and live that we can see with maybe the 5 or 10% of the people that are truly in the flow of life, maybe in Oprah or Richard Branson. And they knowingly or not follow a different success model, which is to be first and foremost authentically who they're here to be during this lifetime. And then from that point to do what their gifts inspire to us, so to express their gifts. And then they receive what we call the essences uh, of joy, of creativity, of abundance, of fulfillment that we all seek to experience in life. So it might sound simplistic, but it's a fundamentally different model to approach life and success in our world.
1: You talk about the importance of mindfulness and meditation. How can that help?
4: Well, mindfulness and meditation um, are definitely stepping stones to getting there because it puts us in the present moment into the being state that we all seek to experience. Um, but the problem with mindfulness and meditation is that we, we're on the yoga mat and we're meditating, but when we go back to the office on Monday morning, all that goes out the door and our calendars are still overfilled, and a few weeks later we're we're back in the old rut. So there is something deeper at play here. Uh, there's a deeper issue, a pathway that we need to find that can Translate the feeling states that we might experience when we meditate or when we're on the yoga mat to actually translate them into the work world and getting stuff done in that kind of a being state, maybe.
1: Peter, do we have to walk away from work at the end of the day or are the lines too blurred now with what we're doing from home?
4: Um well, work will shift over time, and when I speak to people again, millions are yearning for a different way to work, and we do not need to work, uh, walk away from work. There's a different way to do it that we can bring into our organizations, which we're actually helping organizations do. Um, this book that I've been written, and I'm writing, Plan B, is really for the professional in the workplace to discern who they're here to be and how they can bring that into their own career, whether it's in the workplace or whether they choose to leave.
0: That's this weekend's Jennifer Kashenka with Peter Matisse, author of Plan B, A Professional's Guide to Authentic Success. 30 minutes now after the hour on This Weekend. Did you know traditional bed sheets harbor as much bacteria as a toilet seat? The germs in your sheets can cause acne, allergies, stuffy noses, and other gross ailments. Fears, though, that you can put to bed with Miracle-Made bed sheets. Miracle-Made uses silver-infused fabrics inspired by NASA that are thermoregulating to keep you at a perfect temperature all night. Miracle-Made is self-cleaning, self-cooling, luxurious, eco-friendly bedding designed to protect your skin for more restorative rest. My wife and I love them. Now, my listeners can have a clean night's sleep while saving over 40% and sleep cool all summer and warm all winter. The website, trimiracle.com. Dot com slash Gordon. Claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% at checkout. Miracle-Made products are backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, the website, TryMiracle.com slash Gordon. TryMiracle.com slash Gordon to save big. You can sleep cool, comfy, and clean. Miracle-Made bedding, NASA-inspired for out-of-this-world comfort. Sleep clean with Miracle. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. Gordon Deal with Jennifer Koshenka coming up this half hour predicting our holiday shopping patterns. Plus, watching Siberia in October for clues about American snowfall this winter. And when did rock concerts become tame? We'll have that story in about 15 minutes. So what will our shopping habits and trends be for the holiday season? NerdWallet is out with its annual holiday shopping report. Here's personal finance expert Kimberly Palmer with NerdWallet. Kimberly, give us some findings.
5: Well, Americans are very excited for the holidays and plan to spend money on average $831, but despite the fact there is a lot of stress and strain on consumers this year because inflation means prices are up across the board. And so basically, shoppers have to balance that stress with the fact that they really want to celebrate the holidays.
0: All right. So put the $831 spent um, in perspective. Is that more than last year? Is it the same? Is it adjusted for inflation at all? Do we know?
5: It is, so it's actually very similar to what people spent last year. And what we're finding is that because prices are higher, people are making adjustments to their budget. So they might be a little bit more selective in what they buy. They might spend more time shopping around and comparing prices. And in some cases, they're even having conversations with their family and friends in advance saying, hey, let's scale back a little bit this year. And so that's how, despite the fact that prices are higher, people are still spending roughly the same. as they did last year.
0: And here's a red flag I think we tend to see almost annually, but uh, some of last year's shoppers still have debt
5: this figure is always shocking because people go into the holiday season thinking okay i'll turn to credit cards to help me cover some of these costs but the fact is that debt sticks around and among the people who did turn to credit cards last year to shop about a third are still paying off those balances so it's just a reminder to be a little bit careful when you're thinking about how to fund your holiday purchases because that debt can stick around yeah
0: do it do we have figures as to what we might be thinking this year in terms of using that credit card.
5: Absolutely. So people are still planning, similar to last year, to, to shop with their credit card. There are also some new, increasingly popular ways to pay for shopping. Of course, savings are always best. But when people get to the register and you know they, just, they don't have enough, but they really want to make the purchase, more people are also turning to uh, buy now, pay later plans where you actually break up your payments over several installments. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do have to be careful with that too, because just like credit cards, it is a form of debt that you have to pay back eventually uh, so people are turning to a variety of methods to fund their shopping of course saving up in advance is always ideal but not always possible
0: we're speaking with kimberly palmer personal finance expert at nerd wallet they've got new, uh, a new study on our holiday spending plans and what we plan to do with an average spending of about 831 bucks uh, what about some of our shopping habits here
5: It's very interesting because people are really shopping with their values. For a lot of people, shopping small, shopping locally, so going to local small businesses and supporting them is really important. People also want to go green, so they're trying to avoid uh, their carbon footprint when they're shopping. They're trying to think, can I I re-gift items I already have? People are really getting creative about stretching their budget and also shopping in a way that reflects their values.
0: That's Kimberly Palmer personal finance expert with NerdWallet. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. If you want to know just how cold and snowy the winter here in much of the U.S. will be, look no further than faraway Siberia, known as the refrigerator for the northern hemisphere. More from Doyle Rice, weather reporter at USA Today. Doyle, what's this about?
6: Yeah, th- there's a meteorologist who has discovered this. A connection between heavy snow in Siberia in October, and then how it how it translates into heavy or extreme winter weather in across the central and eastern United States. Uh, he's determined that if it's a very snowy October in Siberia, then that means that it we're 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 in for it here in the central and eastern U.S. with a cold winter. Why
0: October? In Siberia,
6: yeah, there's kind of a lag between when uh, when the cold air that forms over that snow, um, there's a lag, but it takes that long for that coldness, that really intense cold, to make its way across over to the United States uh it's not something that it's, it's a very upper air pattern it's not the lower level of weather that we're kind of used to here uh, it's much more of an upper level pattern with big climatological patterns up there
0: wow so what's it like this uh this snow in october i mean siberia is a big region right so what's it like for this this snow how much is there in a big oh. snow october
6: uh, Siberia is gigantic. It's bigger than the land area of the United States and Alaska put together. So we're talking a lot of snow. And uh, it, October is actually when Siberia sees its the greatest expansion of snow cover. Uh, it's not in the winter because it starts snowing so early there. Because it's such a cold region that any precipitation they get in October is
0: usually in the form of snow. Wow. We're speaking with Doyle Rice, weather reporter at USA Today. His piece is called How Cold and Snowy Will the U.S. Winter Be? Why October Snow in Siberia Could Hold the Answer. Uh, so you referenced mm-hmm. this researcher, Judah Cohen. Um, what, what is he saying, like 75% accuracy he's, he's confident with? <laughs> yeah he's been doing this 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 uh, study
6: since 1999 uh he he uh, releases a winter weather forecast in november each year after carefully analyzing what's been going on in siberia and it's amazing that it's been as accurate as as, as it has been to me uh the federal government i'm not sure what their uh, their number is at the moment but i have trouble believing it's as good as 75 percent accurate which is uh I mean, he, he provides this forecast for private clients, but then he also uh, gives it out to the general public so you can make your own uh, plans based on what his forecast is.
0: Seems like there'd be a lot of money riding on what he says.
6: Oh, yeah. I'm sure he's uh, I'm probably well uh, compensated for his, uh, his uh, uh, forecast for these clients that he pays uh, that pay for his services.
0: So the, so the last week of November, he'll, he'll write a yeah. blog essentially w- with his findings about what the U.S. winter will be like? That's
6: correct. And um, he, that comes out at the end of November. He does that every year. And it's, he said it's interesting that it really, he's only found a connection between the kind of weather in the central and eastern U.S., but not the western U.S. He has not. I've been able to determine a link between what happens in Siberia and the kind of severity that the west, western U.S. will get. Well, I know we're in for a pretty serious El Nino winter here, and that can have an impact on
0: western United States. Thanks, Doyle. Doyle Rice, weather reporter at USA Today. Coming up next, when rock concerts got tame. Bring smiles to all when shopping online with Dell Technologies Gift Guide. Whether it's for the artist, the entrepreneur, the student, or the streamer, you'll find the perfect gift. Dell.com slash gift guide makes gifting easy with a carefully curated selection. Shop now to explore our innovative PCs like the XPS 13 laptop, powered by the latest Intel Core processors, plus accessories. Visit Dell.com slash gift guide today. That's Dell.com slash gift guide. Hey, thanks for joining us. Rock and pop concerts are a far cry from the days when a boozed up Jim Morrison was accused of exposing himself at a Doors gig in Miami or when drunken fans rioted at Woodstock 99, a festival that tried to emulate the original. Jim Carlton, reporter at The Wall Street Journal, says many concerts now are comparatively staid affairs. Jim, what's going on here?
7: This is really a crazy story. Uh, I'm a I'm a baby boomer, <laughs> so uh, I uh, was I happened to be at the Outside Lands music festival in San Francisco in August, and just noticed that um, there wasn't really a lot of heavy drinking going on. So I did some investigation, and it turns out that the um, Gen Z uh, crowd that goes to a lot of these concerts and, and millennials too, they just don't drink as much as those, those, those old guys do. So um, you know they're healthier. Um, they want to enjoy the concerts more. So anyway, there's this big shift away from uh, getting just plastered at rock concerts
0: yeah well if you're spending like 250 bucks on a ticket i would guess you you don't want your you know booze to ruin it whether that exactly. day or the next morning <laughs> right right exactly good good point what, uh, so um do you feel like you're an outlier like when you go to these shows because like you i mean I'd, I'd certainly be having something in the parking lot if not at the concert
7: well to be sure they do have alcohol servings um at Outside Lands, a lot of these uh, festivals, they'll have like a bar area. And at Outside Lands, they had six uh, pop-up bars, and each one had alcohol, but um, each one also had mocktails. Um, and uh, they gave me a uh, kind of a fake Moscow mule that actually tasted the, like the real thing without the kick. Um, mm-hmm. I was at a, um, a a bar called Less Is More, um, and they specialize in low-alcohol uh, 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 drinks. Um, and I talked to two young women— um, in their early 30s, uh, they were drinking um, Alperol spritzes, very low alcohol. And I asked one, Ali Sewell, why are you, you know, not um, you know, drinking something stronger? And she said, oh, we want to enjoy ourselves and still be able to remember the music. Plus, we're in our 30s now. We have to be careful. <laughs>
0: so. <laughs> oh, so you bring up a good point. Is this a phase we go through? In our 20s, do we party at the concerts and then we start to dial it back in our 30s, 40s, 50s?
7: Well, you know, uh, Gordon, I was thinking that might be the case, except that I talked to some, uh, uh, some uh, uh, Gen Z uh, people in their 20s uh, saying the same thing. Um, I did an online uh, conversation with a woman from the Netherlands. She said, oh, I would never think of going to a concert uh, inebriated. I don't even like to get high there. I want to enjoy the music. And, and in fact, it's a, it's a stigma. So it's really completely different than when I was growing up.
0: How about if it were uh, an ACDC or Metallica crowd versus a pop star crowd? Does the type of That's music a, matter?
7: That is an excellent point, uh, uh, and I've been to a couple of AC/DC concerts, and Metallica, love them. Uh, <laughs> um, won't say what I was doing there, but um, <laughs> uh, there's a, a place called the Hotel Congress um, in Tucson, Arizona, that i talked to. They bring in music acts, and they noticed um, that when they get to the indie concerts that draw a Gen Z crowd, their alcohol consumption uh, at the uh, venue was down 25% compared to other um uh, acts uh, for rock country uh, that were more like, uh, you know, normal consumption. Wow. So they definitely do see this Gen Z, you know, millennial kind of lower consumption everywhere, really.
0: Well, then, then that's just it, Jim. Tell the millennials to stop calling me and you. We're just not going to their concerts anymore. They're no fun. Uh, well, you
7: know, hey, the, the, you've got a really good point there. Maybe we were that example. I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're speaking with Jim Carlton, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. His story is called, When Did Rock Concerts Become Tame?, Thank alcohol-free Gen Z. Even the performers, as you've mentioned, have gotten in on this.
7: Oh yeah, it was crazy. So I was um, listening to Conan Gray, and uh, you know I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not really that up the the, the Gen Z music, but uh, he's a, a Gen Z uh, YouTube star, um, and he was uh, performing on one of the stages, and then he noticed that someone appeared to have been partying a little too hard, so he stopped his performance and said, "See, this is why you all really should be sober." Uh, <laughs> wow. and he said that to the crowd, and they cheered. And I, I was like, what? This is this is not Jim Morrison. It's not the Doors. It's right. not the Who smashing guitars. This is
0: 2023. Thanks, Jim. Jim Carlton, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. I'll finish with this. The Texas Rangers were up and down through the second half of the season, but there was one constant in the locker room. Fox 4 News Dallas says in an attempt to stay loose during a stressful stretch of the season, the team started playing the music of the band Creed. Rangers pitcher Andrew Heaney says the team would play Creed songs before games. Rangers rookie Evan Carter said the song One Last Breath, Six Feet from the Edge, is popular among the guys. The official Creed account on X even got in on the fun, posting a link to a story with the caption, Let's go Rangers, let's go. While the team may be feeling the songs, their skipper is apparently not. Rangers manager Bruce Bochy told Fox 4 News Dallas that, He doesn't know a lot of Creed songs. He says, they're not in my lane. (laughs) Rangers-Astros, Game 1 of the ALCS, Sunday night. That'll do it for this hour. For Jennifer Koshenka, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Weekend.